what you're about to hear is unsupervised. Welcome back to Stanley Cup of Chatter's unsupervised podcast. I'm your host, Colin Beswick, joined tonight by fellow Stanley Cup of Chatter members, Adam Denhard. Adam, do, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm doing all right. Glad the, uh, the, there's some warm weather, which means spring hockey is here, or at least very close. Hey, we're getting there, Ed. You know, it's 45 degrees and then snows, so almost there. We are also joined by Stanley Cup of Chatter managing editor, Dan Ryan. How are you doing tonight, Dan? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Doing good. We obviously just had uh, a near historic Bruins point streak, which is uh, it's been good times in Bruins land recently. Um, before we get into that topic, I did want to start off with a fan submission that we had tonight, uh, which is a little out there, but I like the like the question, and that was which Boston Bruin do we think has the best hair on the team? And that comes from Miles T. O'Brien on Twitter. Um, I had to think a little bit on this one. Uh, there wasn't really an obvious answer, but I'll defer to both of you first if you have someone who jumps out at you. Uh, I was saying it as we kind of warmed up for this, but I think Charlie Coyle's uh, got a unique set of hair, and that's unique is best for me. So I think he's got like the, the curly mop, Eichel style, though not as, you know, not as much, I guess. But uh, uh, my vote's for Charlie. What about you, Dan? Does anyone jump out of you? Uh, three people. One would be Pasternak because he's got great check hair. It's awesome. It's always looking pretty nice. Uh, <laughs> but if not him, Patrice Bergeron's hair is also perfect. You could, you could probably like plant it and it would grow another perfect person like him. It would be pretty cool. <laughs> uh, uh, Dark Horse would be Heinen. Heinen seems to all have yeah. uh, something decent going on up there. So he would be my dark horse candidate. Yeah, Heinen came to mind for me too. And then also Krug. Krug's got, Krug's got a little bit of the lettuce going on there at times, depending on how long he grows it out. But uh, my choice is a little off the wall here, which I had to think about. I'm going with Joachim Nordstrom. He's got the uh, that legit, like, almost platinum blonde natural hair. It's a different look. You don't see that a lot. Definitely got the uh, the Swedish thing going with the goatee there. So I'll go with Nordstrom. Even if it's not great, it's different. And looking at the, the team roster, they all look pretty much the same. It's very generic. So the Bruins may be winning games, but they got to step up their hair game, no doubt. Could be a playoff. So could be a playoff ambition. You know, beards are one thing, but slow is another. Well, if we're talking beards and playoff beards, I think that's got to go to Char, right? Oh, yeah, but he hasn't grown it. Char, we, that that we can we'll, we'll we'll table that. Knock on, I'm knocking you on the floor right now. <laughs> we'll circle back. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an easy Char one. Although Recky had a pretty good one, if I remember correctly. Yager too, but uh, we'll we'll dive into some of the more on brands topics, I guess, if you will, and we'll start with the you know the recent win streak. Uh, if memory serves me correct, it was the second longest point streak in the history of Boston Bruins, which they've been around since 1929. So, you know, not bad. Uh, obviously, it, it's been a good streak for them, too. But it's been interesting in a couple of ways because they haven't exactly blown out their opponents in it. But they have found ways to win, even when they're close games. You know, and recently a couple come from behind ones late. 
But on a high level, does this win streak change how either of you feel about the team as we head towards the playoffs? Uh, for me, I, you know, I, I had been trying to table expectations for, you know, several months there. And then once it turned the calendar year, my hopes for the team were, were stable, if you want to describe it that way. But I think the streak just kind of, you know, especially within that streak, having that West Coast trip that is usually a big measuring stick for a, a Bruins team. You know, those are milestone trips that happen, you know, twice a season where they're gone for two weeks at a time. And though their competition wasn't at the level that we might hope in order to really give a, a good picture of like what a, what a playoff matchup against a Western conference team might look like, which I realize also is still very premature. So don't, you know, knock me on the floor again. Um, I think the streak showed me personally, at least how little, it mattered which, you know, rookie or young player got plugged in where, because, you know, if somebody was playing on the top line, it was with Bergeron and Marchand, and mostly it was Heinen. But the the trickle-down effect of, of energy, of, of, you know, youthful injection, didn't look like it changed a ton from game to game. You could see the individual players, you know, if, if Solaric struggled, then he got would get pulled and somebody else would get put in. Um, but I, I think the streak gives a little more gives, gave a little more gel to what, you know, rookies and, and young players are trying to put into this team. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really say it's changed my expectations for them. I, it was cool and it was great to see the team put it together for a while, but I'm a little more pessimistic than most and that I kind of, I don't know that the whole thing was a fluke, but, they were playing some pretty terrible hockey, especially toward the end of the streak. That uh, game in Ottawa against Ottawa uh, Saturday it was was just brutal to watch for large stretches. The Carolina game they played like crap for a while. Um, so I, I mean I don't think it's all bad, but this the streak kind of has some ups and downs. Where you know if they weren't on a point streak, you wouldn't see it the same way. But if they had a bounce go here or there, it would have been maybe an eight and a 10 game point streak instead of the long one. So I just, I still think this team is what it is. They're, they're a good team when they put everything together. Um, and it's, it just seems like all season it's been a question of when that full team is going to show up. And it, it, they did that several nights during this streak, but I still have questions about whether or not they can put it all together when consistently, at least when it matters for a couple weeks and, April, May, whatever it is. Yeah, that I was going to sort of sorry, call they, they, they took a few extra games. I, I totally agree that the the streak probably should have ended a week ago, and they managed to eke it out. Yeah, that's I I sort of agree on principle with that too. Like the points are great; you'll take them. You know, especially if it means you get home ice against Toronto, all of that good stuff. But you know, sort of what Dan said, it's. You know, there are a few games in there they probably shouldn't have won. And not that we'd look at it totally differently, but because they'd still be piling up points. But it seems almost like a footnote. Like, it's cool that they had a streak of that long. But in the grand scheme of things, I, I'd i almost prefer to see them, you know, be dominant and lose a game or two and, you know, in there versus, you know, like Dan said, have, have some pretty poor games against some pretty bad opponents 
and you know win at the last minute or two on a on a last minute goal. Again, it's hard to be you don't want to be too negative about it. They just had their best streak in a long time, but it does sort of feel cliche in a way to me that it's I'm just waiting for the playoffs to start because they were a good team last year. They outperformed what I think most of us reasonably expected in the regular season. And then we saw what happened in the playoffs. And so I'll admit I, I got sort of wrapped up in all of it last last year, you know, as a fan or as media or whatever. You know, I was I covered the game where Pasta dropped a million goals on Toronto. Even even as media it's hard not to, you know, get wrapped up in the excitement of that and, and everything. But then, you know, they met Tampa and got buzzsawed out of the playoffs. And, you know, every year is different. There are different strengths and weaknesses with each team. But it's hard for me to get too high on a team, even one that's second overall in the NHL in standings, really until we see them, like Dan said, put it together consistently game after game in the playoffs. Knowing what we do about what the playoff structure is going to be like, they certainly don't have an easy road to. So maybe that's self-preservation selfishly on my own part to not get not get too excited about this team before we start. But like I said, I, I think maybe a middle middle road approach is best. I don't know if that's how you guys feel, but yeah, yeah. I mean they, it's fine. They they did well, and the streak was great to see. But you still saw a lot during that streak. I, you look at it both ways. You saw a lot during that streak that's going to excite you. So David Krejci was a monster the entire time. He's on fire. Uh, the fourth line, maybe last night excluded, was you know a legitimate threat to to not only put pressure on the opposing defense but actually score on a regular basis. So there's all great stuff like that. But then you just saw kind of the same bad habits that they've had for long stretches this year, and none of those are going away. So it's just, I, I yeah, I mean, middle middle ground approach. It's great. So you see, okay, this is what this team can be when they put it together. But, you know, are they going to be able to put it together in the play? I actually think they will, and I think it will be a fun spring. But I don't know that this, this streak all of a sudden makes me think that they're going to sweep Tampa and, you know, go all the way to the finals without much resistance. It's kind of like, yeah, things will be – Things are better than they were before the streak, but it's not like anything is is a done deal. Yeah, it gives you that outlook a little bit of, you know, maybe maybe there's been exceptions, but you don't. It's not like they want to start the race. Never mind that they. I don't think they could catch up to Tampa if they wanted to, which I think they do want to. But the the President's Trophy isn't the be all end all, and so to see some of this, you know, the streak ends. They have to regroup. They have to refocus a little bit um, and draw some of those positives that, that you were talking about, Dan, of, of depth contributions and, you know, d- decent defense, uh, at least most of the nights and more so definitely earlier in the streak, um, that they're not but they're not going to be a cup favorite all of a sudden after this, you know, believe it or not. Yeah, I think it, it's sort of unique this year in that Tampa is so clearly better on paper than any other team. Like, there's just obviously usually favorites one or two every year, but I don't remember in recent history a team as dominant as Tampa has been. So I think maybe we're underrating the Bruins to some extent because, like I said, they are obviously good. But I look at the streak and I say the streak doesn't really move the needle for me in terms of their playoff chances as much as – you know, the additions they've made, if anything, like the streak's great, but 
I think the fact that they added Johansson, if he's healthy in time for the playoffs, and they added Coyle, you know, and, and it gives them more legitimate depth throughout the lineup, that's what moves the needle for me and makes me a little more positive about it than I was, you know, going into last year or the year before or whatever. Um, and like Dan said, I am fairly – I'm fairly positive on them in terms of their potential, you know, in the playoffs as, as much as you can ever be in the NHL. But the win streak really didn't have much to do with that. Um, you know, and speaking of, of new additions too, um, I shared this in our Stanley Cup of Chowder Slack chat earlier, but I got my first uh, bench slash demote coil uh, mention on Twitter today after eight games. And uh, it, to be fair, like he, he had his first point. He had an assist last night on the Moore goal. Um, and if you're just looking at the game log for him, like obviously, you know, they, they gave up to Nato, who has nine points in nine games played. He's looked strong over in the wild and everything. Like I can see on like some level why you might be frustrated. But if you're watching the games, it, to me, Coyle looks really good. You know, I know at, at times we probably all joked about, you know, how misleading the eye test can be. But I mean, his possession stats are really strong. You know, I think he's looked really good, and I have theories on why, you know, the points aren't coming. But, uh, I mean, what do you guys think? Like, do you have any complaints about Coyle thus far? Um, only that I've seen him, uh, and I worry a little bit about this in Solarix game so far, too, is, like, you, they they move well. Coyle moves really well around the ice. I, you can see him pivoting his head. He's making tight turns to stay in passing lanes or or to read a play. And he's got what looks like to be a, a high hockey IQ. But where is it showing up so far? You know, I mean, if that was his first point, I I could have sworn he had gotten a point and like maybe an assist in his first game. But if I, I thought he was like due for it, you know, right out of the gate because he looked like he was playing strong. And, you know, maybe that was just fluidity playing in a system that he'd never played in before. But the the movement to his game is still there. I just... Yeah, we got to get some points out of the bottom six and the streak helped and through the streak Coyle couldn't, you know, come up with a couple is a little concerning to me at least. He's been fine. I mean, he's been fine to me and the, the wailing and grinding of teeth over Donato got old after the first game and it's only gotten worse since. Like, who cares? He's, everyone knew he was going to go there and score a few goals in a few games, and there would be a lot of crying that they traded him. But I don't think he's any big loss. And, you know, I don't know. If he hadn't been scoring as much as he has, people probably wouldn't care. But to me, Coyle has been fine. He's not scoring yet, but they're also not fully healthy yet. So maybe that third line doesn't look like it's going to when everyone's ready. Um, and, I've noted, I mean, he's been strong on the boards. He's a good possession player. He's set up a few plays. And where he helps is even if he's not scoring, he's not putting up points, is he's, I think he's kind of evening out the entire lineup. So if he's on the third line, you can have someone else on the second or someone else on the fourth and kind of plug people in as, as you need them. So, I mean, everyone knew that people, people turned on him the, the day he got here. People on Facebook just hate him for some reason. Uh, they they hate all well, they Facebook. Hate so <laughs> Facebook's a, a whole different animal. group on there, and they are not very happy. Ever, but yeah, they're rough. They love Ryan Donato, which is great. Good for them. They hate Peter. Thunder. 
They love the idea of Ryan Donato, <laughs> I think, right? Yeah. Some of you are fine yeah. if you're listening. It's not all of you, but he's been <laughs> fine. I mean, he wasn't brought – I don't mean, I don't think he was brought here to score 20 goals in the second half of the season. He helps them even out their lineup. He helps kind of spread the, the – maybe not spread the wealth, but spread the talent around a little. And then once you get Johansson back, once you get – DeBrusque back, you all of a sudden maybe put Heinen on his line or maybe put um, I don't even know who you I guess you could put Johansson down there too, but you, you move people around and all of a sudden maybe he looks like a different player, but he, he's been fine. He's, I think he's been as advertised. He's not, he has not an elite scorer and wasn't billed as one. So I think a lot of people may have had uh, visions of like power forward Milan Lucic at his prime when they heard of he's local yeah and he's you know he's been fine people people are will will start to accept it more when he puts one in and you know if all of a sudden he has a goal and three assists in 10 games that looks a lot better than two assists in eight games so it's going to turn for him quickly and i think people will let it go and i think here's the thing like uh, I'll, i'll quote some stats on it just real quick and i have to begin with small sample size he's obviously only played eight <laughs> games here trigger warning but um yeah so he's uh he's playing two and a half minutes less a night since he got to boston than he was in in minnesota which is probably a pretty big adjustment for him to begin with on top of joining a new team like obviously he's used to playing borderline second line minutes he's only playing 14 and a half here which is like you know mid third line minutes but obviously he has that one assist we talked about that already but if you look at possession metrics at even strength he has an outstanding 60.6 Corsi 4 percentage. Uh, you know, his PDO is 96.2, which I know people argue about using the word luck and PDO or whatever, but, you know, like basically he's been unlucky. And I would argue, and everyone in our poor channel has heard me say this at times before, that that luck is directly correlated to having David Backus on his line. And I will go to my grave arguing that there's a reason everyone who's played with Bacchus this year has struggled to put up points. That's Heinen, that's JFK, that's Frederick, that's, you know, down coil. I, you can't blame it all on Bacchus. That's not fair, obviously. But I think that it's a significant reason why we're seeing coil not getting points. Because if you're a distributor, which he primarily is, he doesn't have shooting talent. He's not really a shooter. He's there to set up other guys. And he has Solaric, who I like, but has not exactly, you know, been great at times. And he has Bacchus. You can kind of understand why he's not racking him up in 14 minutes a so night. Do you think? Do you think he I gets t- those couple of minutes back um, when players get healthy again, or do you? Would you? We could we could talk about lines another time, but uh, like if he's not going to be playing minutes that he's used to playing, he's got to find another way to contribute. So I, I don't know if it'll fluctuate too wildly outside of, you know, as they rest Bergeron or Krejci as we get, you know, as they lock up seating and everything. Personally, I'd like him to get a little bit more. And you guys have all heard my rant about dropping pasta to the third and giving them, you know, 16 minutes a night versus 14 and a half and give pasta his four minutes of power play. People either love or hate that idea. So I'll, I'll leave that one alone. But I, I do think you could stand to, to give the third line a little bit more time on ice once everyone's healthy. Right now, if you have Bacchus and Solaric, I don't think they can afford to give Coyle's line much more time on ice. And Bruce has been leaning a lot heavier on on the, the Wagner and Chari line too. And they've been good for a fourth line, so it's hard to really criticize him for giving them more ice time. 
But I think once Johansson returns and DeBrusque returns and Poss returns and all of that, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, at least in the regular season, where the it, they're they're grabbing 16 plus minutes a night versus Marshan and Bergeron playing 19 minutes a night. Like we all love Bergeron, he's a demigod, but I think over the last couple of years we've seen him sort of really get banged up, you know, multiple times every season. I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing injured right now too. So I, I would not hate them uh, taking a little ice time away from, from that line and giving it to Coyle if, if they can produce. I will say eye test wise, I actually think he's been really good. I know we all are, are you know, sort of around the edges on what we think about him, but I notice him in a good way. Most games since he's been here. So it seems like, you know, he has good movement. He's good along the boards. He's setting up plays and this is just going to be forever burned into the back of my brain, but he set up a play where Bacchus is crashing towards the net, like at glacier speed. And I forget who the opponent is, but the opponent basically had time to like take a nap before he, he broke in and knocked the puck away on what would have been basically an, an empty net shot because the goalie was out of position. And it's like the perfect microcosm of what Bacchus brings to the team. Like if he was just a second or two faster, there you go. There's a goal, but he's not. And so that's what Coyle's dealing with. A kid in Solaric who's inconsistent, you know, at times, and Bacchus, who obviously isn't what he once was. But I think he's been good. I think if they drop Pasta or Johansson or, or Heinen or whoever, we, we might see the points start, start accumulating like we expected. We'll move on to the next topic, which is always sort of like a pointless but fun debate that happens every year with Bruins Twitter and Bruins fandom, and that's who should win the, you know, the Bruins seventh player award. And it, like I said, it's, it's kind of pointless because it's generally a popularity contest, but like I do enjoy like debating it and I feel pretty strongly about who should win. And it sounds like we don't all agree. So I'm curious who the candidates are that each of you think should be the winner. Um, I would vote for somebody on the de- defensive side personally. I think, um, I think, See, for me, it's kind of a coin toss between Grizz and Carlo just because Carlo clearly took another step this year. Like, you know, we're not seeing like, oh, now he's blazing speed and like shut down physicality defenseman, but he's in right places most of the time and is able to use his foot speed, which I think did improve a little bit to get himself back into position if he finds himself in trouble. Um, and Grizz, I mean, you know, I was expecting much more of a slump this year for some reason out of him than, uh, and I, and I think he, first he broke right through that. He didn't really have a slump. Um, but he's also just very much what the Bruins need in terms of offensive, you know, pushing pace. Um, and again, similar to Carlo can get himself back in a position if he, maybe plays a little bit too aggressively. And, you know, I, I feel like Cassidy gives those guys the leash to, to, to bite, to, to pinch, whatever, you know, they, they have a good system most of the time that, that allows for that. Um, and if I were, you know, so if I'm, if I picked up a nickel right now and flipped it, I would probably go with Grizz. Well, so here, who's going to win it is probably DeBrusque, if I had to guess, because it's a popularity contest where fans vote for the guy who scored a lot of goals who isn't named Bergeron or Marchand. But 
who should win it, I would say Wagner, just because I, mean, I think Adam, you made good points. If, if they're going to give it to someone on defense, either of those would be good choices. But And Halak, too, is a good, good choice. But I feel like with Halak, he at least has had the success before where he was that great goalie, and you know he had it in him. Whether or not he was going to put it together is another story, but I just think Wagner's a guy who you know, maybe it wasn't the, the most exciting signing when they made it. and You could argue they didn't need him, that they could have filled that role with someone from Providence, but he's here and, you know, he's he's not going to gonna set the world on fire with the way he plays, but he's already set a career high in goals. He got promoted to the, the first line the other night for a quick spell and he's been pretty effective. So he just strikes me as someone who, in terms of this being a fan vote, and it is a popularity contest. He's a guy who, local guy, everyone loves the local guy. Uh, he plays kind of that physical game that, that people cheer for, even if you miss the hit, if the boards make a loud noise, that's cool, people like that. <laughs> and he's been, you know, he's been, he's chipped in. He's got 11 goals for a guy who's playing on the fourth line. So he's someone who strikes me as who would actually be deserving, like a kind of under-the-radar guy who, maybe does a little more of the dirty work, but is surprisingly played well. So I think he would be a good choice. But like I said, I don't think he'll win it. I, I think it will be – it just seems like like a DeBrusque year that the people are going to vote for him just because he's good and young. Yeah, I think DeBrusque is probably who's going to win it too, like you said, for those exact reasons. I'm, I pulled up a list of the previous seventh player awards, which began in 1968 apparently. But like if I count backwards from last year, it was McAvoy, Pasta, Marchand, Pasta, Riley Smith, who like, yeah, that's the one name where you're like, eh, okay, Dougie Hamilton, Sagan, Marchand, Rask, Krejci, Lucic, Tim Thomas, Tim Thomas. Like those They're are all, all the like, top five. All, like, all, <laughs> all star first round draft picks outside of Thomas and Krejci. Like those are all guys. They're supposed to be good. Like Charlie McAvoy is supposed to be good. Like, I don't know. So it's exactly like I said, it's the young offensive forward or defenseman. Basically, if you're looking like back in time, it, it, it's kind of always been like that too. Like the names on here are ridiculous. Like Ray Bork, you know, like Barry Peterson, Joe Thornton. Like it's just littered with Hall of Fame players. So it, it's kind of a dumb award. But if I'm voting on who I think it should be, I've said this like over and over again, it's a lock. And like Dan makes an interesting point about, you know, he has been a starting goaltender before. And that's true. And I'll be honest, I hadn't really looked at it from that angle that much. But on the flip side, like, my argument would be that he was on waivers two years ago. And, like, he is still just outside of, like, Vesna finalist conversation. And, like, I, you guys both know how much I hate, like, general goaltending statistics. But, like, he has a 924 save percentage if we're going to use that stupid stat. Like, goal saved above average he's fifth or sixth to last i checked in the entire nhl and like i think some of us thought he would be good i remember having a conversation when they brought him in like hey they're paying a lot for him but you know he he has that starter pedigree maybe he'll be good but never in my wildest dreams i think that he would be legitimately a top five or six goalie in the league outplaying rask who has also been very good this year but statistically he's been significantly better than rask and, like, so I look at that and say, like, in terms of expectations exceeded, no one exceeded my expectations more than Halak did. 
So that's my thing. Like to me, it's not even like uh, not much of an argument because, and the three other names you guys listed are all ones that I had put on my top five. I, I sort of lean towards Adam's side more where I would vote. It's tough either Carlo or Grizz because they're both playing big minutes and they've been very effective and all that. My thing with Wagner is he's been better than I expected significantly. Like I, I was railing against that signing when they made it. I even tweeted like a month ago, he made me look like a total idiot because he's been much better than, you know, statistically he's been. But the other thing too is he's playing the most, you know, minutes of his career on a better team. And like some of it is that, yeah, he's going to be a little bit better. Did I expect him to score 11 goals? No. But like he's still a fourth line player. If you look at his underlying metrics and more advanced stuff, he, he's still not a very good player. Like, we all love him because he's from here and he's a nice guy and the 11 goals are great. But, like, Sean Thornton had 10 goals one year, you know? Like, I don't think that, you know, Achari had 10 goals last year. It's a welcome surprise. It's great that that line has clicked. But as we know, goals can be pretty random. And, like, I wouldn't be surprised if next year he has five goals or seven goals. And I hope he proves me wrong. Like, I really do. But – I just don't think his value to the team is high enough to, for me personally to vote. Whereas Halak, I think obviously kept the team in it when Rass struggled to start. He's still keeping them, you know, as a contender. And then with Carlo too, like Carlo has been so consistent all year. Same with Grizz. So I don't know. It's going to be DeBrusque, like Dan said, I think, or like watch they'll, they'll vote pasta again or something or McAvoy again, even though they're, they're yeah, supposed to be party so hard he broke his thumb, and that's a fan favorite moment right there. This is all yeah. this is all excellent thought and analysis, but it's a it's going to be a popularity contest. That's why <laughs> that's why Sean Thornton. Won. And I, I mean, I like. Sean well, nobody Thornton, asked but, us, Dan, so well, we have they, to tell they should, them. They should <laughs> ask me, and I will tell them that Chris <laughs> Wagner is from Walpole, and therefore he's going to win. Charlie I want to Coyle stay on Wagner for a second, too. He doesn't too. hit enough, or else it would be Coyle. Coyle's, because he's from, I think, closer to the city. So it would be him, but he doesn't hit enough, so it's going to be Wagner. Well, you got to factor in those Walpole facts, though. I mean, that, that adds some value to the I, fan base right personally, there. Self-plug, I self-plug. <laughs> if, if I had a vote, I would vote for Jimmy Hayes because he got a raw deal. So I think he could retroactively win <laughs> seventh player, and that would make me happy. So that that's my actual vote. All right, Jimmy Hayes for seventh player award, off the board pick. It's the Zach Sinishin of uh, seventh player award picks. It'd probably be less controversial. <laughs> I uh, one of these days I'm going to go through these lists of winners and just pick out like the most two or three random winners. But like it's literally just like they're almost all borderline Hall of Fame players. I mean Don Sweeney's in there, Cam Neely. Like these are all like. I'm going to find the worst player to win the seventh player award. That would be a good tweet. But <laughs> we mentioned Grizz too. And, uh, you know, as we we're recording this, the Bruins have, had, have just lost, obviously, to the Penguins. And Grizz was hurt in what looked like a pretty bad incident. Not that it was dirty necessarily, but, you know, on the ice, it looked like he was significantly hurt. And uh, he was in, seemed to be in a lot of pain. And I think all of us at home, we don't pretend to be doctors. Um, but like it's hard not to assume he broke an arm or a wrist or an elbow or something in there. It looked bad. But uh, we've since gotten the news that the x-rays are negative. That came out about an hour or two after the game last night. Um, and we've we heard 
today that he'll obviously be sent back to Boston for, you know, more, more imaging and, and testing and all of that. Cause it could obviously be ligament damage or muscular or whatever. But I think one, they, they hopefully knock on wood. Yeah, you're uh, lucky I'm sitting on this floor there. and can knock on it so easily. Coming. Yeah. You just got to keep punching it. We'll be all right. Uh, but one, you know, that's a blessing, I guess, as long as he didn't, you know, like have some major tear or anything. But it uh, definitely didn't look good. And I think if we're talking about unheralded players, I, he might he might be the guy on this team. I don't know how you, you both feel about that. But, like, I think all of us more or less at Chowder have been, to varying degrees, fans of his. A lot of us are, are into the more advanced statistic type stuff, and he's always measured well in those regards. But, like, even if you're not, it's hard not to admire how consistent he's been, you know, how stable he's been. If I I hadn't really thought about it, but he might be the most sort of underrated guy on the yeah, team. Yeah, I put him. You know, I I I really would pick him for for seventh player. And you know, he, when he broke into the league, it was a feel good story. His dad worked at the Garden and and was worked in the Bull Gang for a long time, and so he grew up on the road. Nice guy. Uh, I've yet to meet him, but I'm uh, that's a goal. I got to try and meet him before the end of the year. Um, but the uh, the just the level of play that he's been bringing over the last, you know, most of this season, you know, he's had some down nights, but really it's been very consistent since, you know, late November, you know, holiday season type of time. And where were we going to get, where does any team get that from what is effectively like a third pairing defenseman? Like, you know, he skates back and maybe he doesn't always get the stick right on the puck and doesn't prevent the shot, you know, as cleanly as, uh, you know, a, Ve- uh, not a, Vezina, a Norris trophy candidate defenseman might do, but he's all over the ice, makes a great breakout pass, like just a needed element to what Cassidy's system seems to be that I think has, has really benefited the team. And it's a tough loss now. I mean, you know, you, you can only hope that he comes back very quickly. And if it's not quickly, you know, how quickly? Because... It would be a great, you know, something that would inject a little bit more energy into the pace of play. Yeah, and like obviously he's good. We're saying that in, in many different words here, but the other side to that is if he is out, like outside of of Bakunin, who I think we're all high on, but he's played not even two games. So like we've we still don't really know what he is, and if it means like you know more as a regular player, and then Camphor is also going to be in the lineup. Like, all due respect to both of those players, but, like, that's a huge drop-off. And if, if that carries into the playoffs, like, that, that's, that's obviously going to be an issue. So, like, it, losing him would be, you know, sneakily really, really uh, sort of a big deal, like Adam said, because his transition game is so strong. You know, Corsica, and the, most of you probably already follow that who are listening, but if you weren't, Manny, who, who ran Corsica, rip. Um, at one point had uh, Grizzly rated as the best transition defenseman in the league, like bar none. Like you can measure that different ways, obviously. And it's somewhat subjective in different levels, but like, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that he is at least among the best in that one area of, you know, the game and that works. It's important in Bruce's system. So losing him could obviously have a trickle effect there. So hopefully we'll we'll find out tomorrow or the day after that he's fine. Maybe he misses a week or so, but uh, hopefully he's all right. Um, 
like I said, even if it just means that Camphor and Moore aren't playing. But we'll, we'll divert to the side a little bit in that Bruce said after the game that he was pretty confident it would be Camphor coming in to replace Grizz for however long he's out. I'm curious how you you both feel about that because we all have different different opinions of Camphor. I like him more than most in terms of a depth defenseman, but like, would you rather it be Vakanainen or Clifton or Sporo or Lozon or whoever? Like, I'm curious if you agree with that decision. He's the safest pick, really. I mean, if if you're, I guess it all depends on what you're doing. If if you're here, say a month from now, it might be too long. I don't even know when the season ends, but three weeks from now, and for some reason, Grizzlick's still out, and and the playoff seedings locked up and all that stuff, then yeah, let one of Lauzon or Clifton or someone play. But my guess is that it, when they call Camphor up, um, say if, when, I'm sure he'll be coming up tomorrow, um, they'll probably just slot him in for Grizzlick and roll with the loss, the slight step down in production or in efficiency. But if, if for some reason Grizzlick's still out in the playoffs then and they have to use Camphor, I would I would probably choose him just because you assume he's going to shorten the bench anyways, Cassidy, I mean. So if you – I'd, I'd rather – you know, I actually like Camphor. I, I think he's actually a lot better now than he was his first go-around with the Bruins. But if you if you lean heavily on your top two pairs in the playoffs anyways and Camphor's there on that third pair to just soak up some minutes, I think that's probably a better bet than – and I love I love Vakanainen probably more than anyone, and I think he should – play all the time maybe even on all three pairs i don't know depends on how much energy he has but <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm kind of you know, he's, he's finished they got a lot of energy but it, <laughs> i think at this point why buy i don't know let him let them develop let them play especially with the ahl playoffs coming up you know let them let let them play heavy minutes there and then just you, you can use camp for um down the stretch here and, and sort of a other guy role where he can play um he can take some of those minutes that Grizzlick was playing and just kind of do fine with them. And who knows? I mean, maybe he does even better than you thought, and you have some decisions to make if someone slumps in the playoffs or something like that, and he's not a bad option. So I think it's the logical choice. It's a safe choice, and I, I don't blame Cassidy for going that road. Yeah, you had we had uh, a little bit during the warm-up talked about call-ups and um... – and so there's a limit on how many the Bruins could use before or after the trade deadline. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if maybe 10 minutes ago, I might've leaned to the other way and say, call up, you know, call up the kids. Let's give them some more experience. You know, how can they push the Bruins team down a playoff rush? Um, but I, I, I'm actually more inclined to agree with you, you know, more than 10 minutes ago for some reason, because, like you said, you, you give them some development time, but it's also a what's more or less a stable Boston team, and you're not going to halt the development of a player by them getting into a game where they play badly, and then you know Cassidy decides to bench that player like he did Salark, you know, in the last week or so. Um, and so, Camper maybe not a safe bet. I wouldn't maybe put it that far, but he's a He's an NHL player. Whether or not he should be is up for debate, but he's there for that purpose. Use him for that purpose while we have it. It's not a long time. It's not like Grizz went down in November and he's, you know, 
out for three or four months with a major knee injury. Let's hope it's not that bad. I'm still, I'm still touching the floor. I never let go of it the next, the last time. Um, but, but I, I think you're right, Dan, that, that Camphor serves this purpose. And this is the reason that he's here is to try and buy a little more time for, for development. And then, you know, when we get to the playoffs and God, I got to keep touching the floor. Uh, when we get to the playoffs and we get, some opportunity to pull up black aces out of Providence. Sure. Maybe one of them can be a defenseman, but that's, that's a decision for another day. And I think right now it's still limbo. You know, you don't want to use one of those call-ups and not be able to use it. If something dire really happens. So this is like a cop-out answer here. You mean more than mine, but it totally depends. (laughs) No, I mean, you're over there doing push-ups on the floor, making sure you're, you're touching the, the wood the whole time be talking, but uh, it, it depends on what Grizz's injury is. If it's short term, I'm totally on board with Camper. Camper, like Dan said, and this has been an interesting debate in our in our channel before about is Camper actually better than Moore, which people are going to laugh at, but there is some statistical uh, argument to be made that he is actually better than Moore. Um, but like he's he's fine as a seventh defenseman. He's probably better than fine as a seventh defenseman. My only concern with him is he hasn't played, and I think the stat was from Chris from our site said 72 days or something like that in a game. Since before the new year, That's not – yeah, that's not easy to do no matter how much of a pro you are and he is and all of that. Like, it's hard to keep game speed even practicing if you're not playing. And so if it's short-term, like, fine, throw him out there, soak up some minutes, he'll be all right. He'll make some mistakes, but so does John Moore, so does everyone else. Like, it's fine. But if it is a long-term injury, even if that's just a month or, or more as we get into the playoffs, I, I kind of lean playing Vakanainen or, or whoever is the best fit currently. It's probably Vakanainen, but, you know, you can make an argument because I think then you give them enough runway in the regular season to get up to speed and to get comfortable with the team so that if they are playing regularly in the playoffs, even if it's only 14 minutes a night or whatever, you know, they're not going to be a, an anchor or a to your team. Definitely so, cop campers, at least at this point. Uh, Vakaninens is, yeah, I, I will agree with that. I think the other ones, and this is maybe a hot take, I don't know, you know send the hot take please on me. I, I'm not sure what Lausanne and Zaboral are yet, to be honest. Zaboral's been hurt so much we haven't really seen him. I, I, I think Lausanne was all right, but I, I don't know. It was such a small sample size that I, I don't know what they'll be. But like said, it depends on what what Grizz's injury is and how long you need them to fill in, I guess, is my cop-out answer there. I did want to dive into something, probably be just quick, but Dan mentioned he's, he's a huge uh, Euro fan. Uh, I had this sort of poll and debate going on Twitter. I've been sort of prospect-focused recently on who fans think the Bruins quote unquote best defense or best prospect is. And I think it's obvious most consider Vakanainen and Studnika as the two top ones, but I'm curious if both of you agree with them as the top two. And if so, who do you think it has the higher ceiling or is the better prospect quote unquote? Uh, I mean, I, I would say of, of those two, it's hard to say because I like Studnicka and I think he's he's an exciting prospect. But um, it's hard to take 
giant OHL scoring numbers super seriously uh, just because and people pile up points in the Canadian Junior Leagues and it's kind of an offensive-focused league and you know, all those caveats apply. I think he'll be good and I, I think I actually think it's probably not a stretch to say he'll make the team out of camp next year, but I think... Vakaninen to me stands out just because he was arguably one of the most random draft picks they've ever made. I like to think I pay attention, maybe not super in on uh, finished defenseman prospects before the draft, but <laughs> I, usually you when, when when the team makes a pick, you've at least like, oh, I've heard that name. Oh, I okay him, and I had no idea who he was. And again, it doesn't mean he he, he wasn't a good prospect, but and then, I mean, here we are, was less than two years later now. I don't even know what year it is anymore. But, uh, mm-hmm. and he, he made the team out of camp. Like, he didn't, he didn't play, but he was on the roster when camp ended. And then he got cheap shotted. And then things kind of went south from there in terms of regular NHL ice time. But he's, he, he's just someone who already seems like he's ready to play. Uh, and I, I wouldn't mind if they say if they had to plug him in in a playoff game right now. I think he would do fine. Uh, Studnicka, I'm just curious what he can do. Part of it is what he can do against NHL defensemen or NHL defenses is a question, but it's also a plus. You know, what can he do with NHL talent on his on his side too? He might be even more dangerous offensively with you know professional finishers around him. So. It's a good problem to have, but it's interesting because it seems like the two of them have kind of just one A and one beat each other pretty quickly here. Guys like you know Bjork is still around; he's kind of fallen by the wayside, and then after them, you know uh, Kyle Keezer's around too, and a couple other guys. But I don't know that they have a ton of exciting prospect depth other than those two. So hopefully, they hit on one of those two sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I I think I think Jack would be a more exciting option and a you know a, a great injection, especially if over the next couple of years, you know, Craigie's been hot, but he has you know kind of been adamant that he's going to play out his contract and then leave the NHL. And he you know he maybe he just doesn't want to fade against the best pros, but the Bruins are probably going to need somebody to start picking up reins of, you know, an offensive pacing forward. Um, And I I think Sidney is going to do a good job of that. But for me right now, more important to this team than, you know, and maybe this is immediate future biased, but more important to this team sooner rather than later is adding to that defensive core. And, you know, maybe Chara will play until he's 60. That's fine. Great. But, you know, Kevin Miller probably won't because he's not very durable, at least not that like you know, durability is a, a super huge factor, but to, to bolster the back end, to, to bring in a prospect that like, like you said, Dan was kind of came out of left field when they made the pick, but has otherwise, otherwise impressed. And you know, I'm a little excited. I'm a little more excited to see his value to the team in the short term than, than Jack. And so if we're talking next season, I mean, if I, I hope for both of their six that they both make the team out of camp. But I think for me, the excitement is more on, on, on Vakanine and making that jump 
sooner rather than later. So, so I think it's, it's a good point you made about in the, like the, the near term, Bakkenainen is more important. And I agree with that because he's more likely, obviously, to, to play NHL minutes and all of that. And in the short term, Chara may retire this year, at the end of this year or, or next, most likely. And Bakkenainen will help at least bridge that. Long term, I, I feel somewhat strongly that Studnika, if he reaches his potential, is the more important to the franchise. And I say that, and I'm, you know, everyone's probably heard me say it, but they really don't have top six center prospects in their pipeline. Like, and everyone has feelings about it. And I, like, you know, I'm not here to, like be mean about prospects or whatever, but personally, I don't think that either Frederick or JFK will ever be top six players. I think if I, if one of them becomes a average third line center in the NHL, you're probably lucky. I know that seems harsh, but I, I don't think that either of them have high ceilings. And so like, Part of me will readily admit I'm probably overrating Stavnika on some level because he's the only center prospect they have that has a legitimate chance to replace Krejci. Someone asked me in Twitter today too, like, why not? Why not a Bergeron replacement? And like, I had to like respectfully, but like, dude, no one's a Bergeron replacement. It's a Hall of Fame player, like one of the, the greatest two way forwards in history, maybe the best. So like, you're 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 not going to replace him probably ever, let alone with a prospect. But I think that Stadnika at least has a puncher's chance of being, you know, a David Krejci level player in his career. I did pull some stats earlier today because I, I do try and follow uh, the OHL a little bit and I do follow uh, Stadnika's career. Um, so I pulled these just to see because in the OHL, like Dan mentioned, they can be high scoring, but a lot of it has is age related and you have to adjust for that when you're looking at scoring because the gap between a 17-year-old player and a 21-year-old player in the OHL is obviously huge. And, like, the Steven Stamkos and Tyler Sagans and Joe Thorntons of the OHL, like, those guys are putting up 100-plus points, you know, as 17-year-olds. Sudnik is not that. He's not going to be an all-star. He's not going to be a Hall of Fame player. He just turned 20. Um, I pulled these stats from today. He's 14th overall in the OHL in points per game played, which is pretty good. Um, Of those... Eight, including him, are centers. Uh, and four of those, excuse me, eight are centers. Four of those are older than he is. They're 20 to 21 years old. He just turned 20. So he's the, there are only four other centers who have outscored him in points per game pace in the entire OHL. Those are Frost, who's already a Philadelphia draft pick, Akil, who's a Kings draft pick, Suzuki, who everyone's probably familiar with. He was involved in the trade for Montreal to um, the Vegas Knights is he's owned by the, the Knights franchise now. And then uh, there's one more, a Dallas prospect. Uh, so they're all pretty high draft picks. Like it's good company to be in. And so I, I was looking into that to try and get a perspective on like, you know, how much can we take his scoring um, at face value and how much is it that the OHL is uh, easier league to score in and that he's older than some of the players. Most players are like 18 and a half, 19 generally. Um, and then he, he obviously got traded. We broke the news at chatter that he had been traded, um, from Oshawa to Niagara, his point per game pace in Oshawa was 1.13, which is, which is good, but in Niagara, it's 1.59. And a lot of that's been on a power play. I think he has like 10 of his 22 goals in Niagara have been on the power play. So like his, his numbers are definitely being driven up by being on arguably the best team in the OHL. Like he was added as a deadline trade because they're going for, you know, the, the cup. So I, I, what I'm trying to do here is sort of like 
give some nuance to the discussion. I do think he's going to be a good NHL player. I think he's their best prospect. But at the same time, like I went back and looked at historic Bruins draft picks from the OHL. And I tweeted this earlier, but he's a hell of a lot closer to Kokwachev, to Ryan Spooner. He's better than Sunition was, but you know, like he's closer to those names and, than the Joe Thorntons and the Tyler Sagans of the world. Well, and for those, sure. guys, those guys so got like, pulled out of the O at a young age. Exactly. After so, 17. You know, yeah. He's, he's had development years and, and clearly has skill, but I, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying that it's, it's hard to say that he's going to be an outstanding, you know, NHL player. He's probably going to be pretty good. Yeah. And that's why I'm, like I said, I'm definitely guilty of it. Cause I'm a big fan of his, like I'm trying to backtrack a little bit about like be excited about him, but, but have some reasonable expectations for him. Like if he doesn't make the team next year, it's not the end of the world especially with Coyle with the second year on his contract. But I do think one of the things that like you hear the name Kokochev and we, we all live through the Coco years and the, the Stanley Cup of chowder comment sections <laughs> and like Ryan Spooner, but he he's probably better defensively already in all seriousness than either of them are now. And at the, these points in their careers, like he's very well-rounded, you know, he kills penalties. His coaches love his defensive aspect of the game. He's been a captain, alternate captain, all of that stuff. So in terms of like quote unquote pedigree and well-rounded game, it's there. So you worry less about that with him than we had to over the years with said Coco and and Spooner and all of those players. And like, I don't know, I thought Spooner, Spooner's a decent player. He's obviously not having the greatest time now, but like if Spooner could play defense, he'd be a pretty good third line center in the NHL. So I don't know if that's, if that's what he ends up being, it's not the worst thing in the world for a guy that they got for free because the Oilers signed Peter Shirelli for some reason. Yeah, that's a weird way to get a player. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I selfishly really want him to go on to have like an amazing career just so we can constantly remind Oilers fans that we drafted that player with a compensatory uh, pick. Does he change his name legally to Peter Chirelli and plays for the Bruins? I think maybe he just got to get like a goal celebration that somehow incorporates Shirelli into it. And I think that'll be good. Takes his helmet off and his top of his head is totally shaved. <laughs> maybe wear like a Harvard hat or something. All right, we'll, we'll figure it out. We got we plenty do. of time. For that's that. that's but, futures. Uh, we're, 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 yeah. Hopefully he scores many goals in the future. Um, I'll close out. We did have, we had a pretty good amount of of user submissions. We didn't get to all of them, um, but we do appreciate them. Um, One we did have is what do we think the 2019, 2020 defensive pairs will look like next year? That's from Ray Guarano. And if I said your name wrong, Ray, I'm sorry. Uh, You're a great follow. Uh, Lots of great questions. Um, What, what do we think the pairs will look like next year? And not to cop out again here, but this is actually a harder question than, I thought it would be at first. I've been thinking on this for the last couple of days and a lot of it hinges on what happens with Zdeno Chara. And that's like a whole different discussion in and of itself, probably. But I, I don't know. I think they have some decisions to make about whether they want to prioritize Bakanainen playing in the NHL or Lausanne or whoever over, you know, like John Moore. I think Camphor will be gone. I, I assume, but like they have a lot of, you know, pretty good defensemen to play. So I'm curious if you were picking your seven defensemen to start the year next year, who would they be? I think Char is back. I don't think he's retiring yet. I think they'll probably get him on a, you know, a one-year deal 
next year and subsequent years for him. But they got a they got work to do on Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo. I mean, those are the restricted free agents, and sure, you know, you have some some protection against losing those players, but especially if you want to start investing in the next, you know, the next era of Boston Bruins hockey, you got to make at least Charlie, you know, pretty happy. And I think Brandon Carlo is, I don't think he's forcing his way into like McAvoy conversation as like parallels in, in talent or skill or whatever, but for value to a team, I think, Carlo also needs to really be taken seriously. And so I think that I think the top six will probably shake out the same way that it did this past year, provided of course that Camper leaves, not that he was going to crack the top six when they're healthy anyway. So basically the, the only change for you is that Camper is gone. Probably Char remains and everything right. else is the same. So you have the kids, kids starting in Providence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless they can somehow decide to trade John Moore, you know, I, but yeah, I mean, you got rid of, you got rid of McQuaid's <laughs> contract. So I guess it's not impossible. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if it wasn't almost exactly the same next year. Yeah. I would say, I'd say it expected to be pretty much the same as well. I think they will trade one of either Moore or, Kevin Miller looking at the roster right now and I like Kevin Miller but I feel like they might be able to move a guy like him and get something decent in return uh, while replacing him You know, maybe not one for one but they have guys in the system who seem like they can play a similar game to him they might not be able to punch as many faces but they can try um, but Krug under contract. I don't think they're going to trade him as much as Twitter would like them to. Uh, Charo, I, I can't see why they wouldn't bring him back. He's still an effective player and I don't think he's going to demand so much money that they can't do it. He seems like someone who's got to retire here at this point. So uh, Then you have Moore or Miller. One of them, I think, gets traded. Grizzly is back. Resign McAvoy, resign Carlo, and then pull up a Providence guy, whether it's a Vakanainen, a Clifton, a Lausanne, anyone like that. So I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if, if, like Adam said, if it's just the exact same uh, with Camp for being gone. I could see that happening too, just the same, same basic roster with maybe one guy rotating in as a spare part. But unless something weird happens so- where you you believe that they're going to have to trade someone like McAvoy as there were some really weird rumors floating around earlier this year, which were probably completely made up. But uh, I, I don't see anything yeah, we, happening get, like that. What was that rumor? I didn't, that, I didn't even hear it. That was a bizarre one. I, I got to... It was just that, I'm not just a, that and, someone... So it was a story, and it made perfect sense. It said that something like McAvoy uh, turned down a long-term extension earlier in the season. It's like, well, why wouldn't he yeah, play, right. another, play another full season, hit, hit RFA, right. and cash yeah. in? You have to be an idiot to sign a long-term deal. It's not like that. he could have like gotten, you know, traded or walked into free agency this year anyway. So yeah, yeah that's so that's a reasonable. I can certainly see the Bruins going to him, like, hey, how about this? And his agent saying, yeah, thanks, but no, we'll talk in in June, talk in July. So 
I don't see any of that happening. I do think they will try to move one of Moore or Miller. Uh, I don't think they would trade Gritzlick. I hope they realize what they have in him. Uh, $1.4 million for another year after this is a great deal. So it wouldn't surprise me if they move someone to clear space for a kid, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it's the exact same. Yeah, Grizzly having that year yep. is good, and I, to, to me, I think you know you you've mentioned that uh, Twitter is raving about trading Tory Krug, um, and I, as much as I dislike it because I like him as a player and I like him in a in the spoke B, he's probably the the top candidate just because he's got a big cap hit. He, you know, maybe he can demand a little more money out of a couple of years until he's into his early thirties, but um, he's probably the biggest risk to lose. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if, um, if somebody like, I don't know, they can't trade or they shouldn't trade Carlo because he's still an RFA, but if, if somebody was going to sac- get sacrificed for their next deal, just because it would get too expensive. Obviously, I think you would want to keep McAvoy over Carlo. Yeah, so a couple things. In in your scenario, Dan, you have more as a seventh defenseman rotating in and out for, like, one of the kids. Is that? Yeah, probably, or or whoever's playing poorly. At some point, someone's going to struggle and just rotate. Like they were doing with – was it he and Grizzly earlier this year? They were kind of rotating mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. So, yeah, he's always helps to have someone. Someone will get hurt. Someone will slump. So, yeah, why not? So, I would think, like both of you said, that the, the, the most likely candidates to get moved are, are more Miller and Grizz. But, and not that I'm opposed to moving Miller. Like, I like him. I do. He's useful. He has a place. All of that. He's probably underrated. We were talking about this earlier today. But he's played top four minutes, believe it or not, for the last, like, four seasons. And Adam and I specifically were talking about this. It doesn't always mean he's necessarily a top four defenseman, but he he's useful, I guess is what I'm saying. But the issue with that is he's a right-handed defenseman and all of the Bruins defensive prospects are lefties. And so they, and they are lefty dominant on the NHL roster too. And so like, again, I'm not opposed to trading him, but I think the issue becomes is you basically have like all lefties except for Carlo and McAvoy at that point. And, like, you can maybe make that work, but it, it's sort of an issue. And, like, super high level, and everyone's heard me say it, but if you're just going to have more primarily play as a seventh defenseman, like, just cut your losses. Like, just trade him. He's not cheap either. He, you know, he's $2.75 million per for the next four years. And like, people probably think I, like, have something against him. I don't. Like, he's fine. It's just the contract is so bizarre. Like, you're you're paying – like fifth defenseman money for a guy to sit as your seventh defenseman for the next half decade. And like, if you really need to get rid of someone, I think he still has some value around the league. Even if it only gets you like a third round pick, like fine, there you go. Play Vakanainen, play whoever, like things too, is they're going to draft more and more defensive prospects in the time span that he's here. Like eventually he's going to get pushed out. He's not very good and he's not young. He'll be 29 you know, later this year. So I, people think I'm like a, the devil, but I've been saying pretty much all along, they need to trade more. I was disappointed they didn't at the deadline. I think this off season, they should seriously consider moving him along with Cam for letting both walk. That's fine. But like something's got to, something's got to break there. I think if it's not in this off season at some point next, 
you know, before the deadline next season. So we'll see. I did want to touch on one topic just because I just am so sick of people in my Twitter mentions about this. What do you guys think about Heinen? Just like high level, are, are you fans of Heinen as the player? Like, are you disappointed in him? What do you think? I think he's got a ways to go. Um, but he looks like, you know, everybody's been raving about him slowing the game down and being, you know, a little more cerebral compared to some of the other higher energy prospects that Boston has. Um, I, you know, Krejci took a decade to develop into a major like playmaker and, and to have that on the wing, maybe it's not as valuable as having it in the middle of the ice, but I think he's got a lot of work to do um, in order to, I mean, a be the top line right wing as a solution and not as a stopgap and, and B that, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, B, B, C, and D. He's, I think he has work to do, um, but I don't mind him playing on the first line now. I just don't want to put all of my eggs in the Heinen basket for him as like a you know top line right wing, regardless of whether Pasternak comes back and slots there or with Krejci or you know gives us miracle depth like Colin hopes for. I don't. I don't see how you can have, and I know these people are out there, but I don't see how you can have a strong opinion on Heinen either way. Like he's not, he's not a bust. He's not terrible and he's not elite. Like he's fine. He's a young player who's still figuring it out, but there are people who, he's one of those guys where people seem to just kind of rip on him for no real reason. And I don't, I don't think he's anywhere near bad enough ever really to to deserve that but he's and he's not really that great either like he said it's fine he's a kid he's a young young ish i know young is you know relative in the nhl but he's still a kid who's figuring dan he was born in 1995 i don't he's 20 people say he's 23 is not young in the nhl anymore that 19 is young 23 is a he's a college graduate by now he's on you know okay cool i don't care he's still He's still a young player who's figuring it out. He's been moved all over the lineup. First line, third line, second line, back to third, you know, whatever. He's all over the place. So I think he's been fine. And I don't I don't really understand. Maybe it's just a desire to have someone to rip on because they actually don't have a great whipping boy this season, which would have been a good, good uh, top segment for this because Rask <laughs> has been playing really well. He hasn't lost a game in regulation this year. Krejci's been playing really well. Uh, who, who, so it, my, my, my guy Jimmy Hayes is gone. This is probably still somehow his fault <laughs> if you ask some people, but it seems just, and Pasternak's been on fire. Marshawn's picked it up. Uh, DeBrusque has been great. So it's like it's almost like fans are just going through the lineup. I'm like, ah, crap, I can't rip on him. Okay, Heinen. Heinen hasn't scored in 12 games. He's terrible. No, no, he's just a young player who's good sometimes, bad sometimes, but for the most part is doing fine. So anyone ripping on Heinen, I I question their motives. Maybe they just need someone to complain about. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. But I we sort of have like two different answers. Uh, Adam was a little more critical. Dan was just sort of like he's fine is the, the answer. I'm going to take the other other choice here. I, I I don't understand people are so like 
they're unfair to Heinen. He, I don't know, man. Like he had 47 points in his first professional year, like in NHL level, playing on a third line last year. Uh, you know, and like I, we all know, I love Riley Nash. I can never make it through an episode without mentioning Riley Nash. But like, he's not a world beater. And like the fact that he put up 47 points in 77 games last year, again in his first year in the NHL, like he was a fourth round draft pick. I, if anything, I don't think he gets enough credit. It's not like he's Ryan Donato and he's one dimensional. He's legitimately maybe their second, like maybe not second, third best all around defensive forward. No one talks about it because he doesn't kill penalties. But, like, if you follow some of the advanced stats people, they were saying you should have won the Selkie. <laughs> like, he, he's legitimately that might very be good. A I don't think he's aggressive. that good. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but, like, he, he's, he's very good, especially for a young player defensively. And, like, even if he's a 35-point guy who's just great defensively, like, he's already well outlived his draft, like, round. And, like, so I pulled these earlier because I said my, my Twitter mentions are driving me, like, literally insane with all the, the hind intakes. But, like, since he's played away from the third line and of note away from David Backus, he has played at a 75-point pace in his second professional year. He doesn't score a lot of goals, and that's something that fans hate about him. I get that. Like, he's not Jake DeBrusque. That's fine. I don't expect him to be Jake DeBrusque. Playing on that third line with the anchor that is David Backus, he was playing at a 25-point pace. Like, so let's say he's obviously not as good or as bad as either, but like, let's say he's a 50 point player. Like, that's a good player. That's a borderline second line player for a guy you drafted in the middle of the fourth round in his second year at 23 years old. Like, and if you play him on the first line, and I actually think he's looked really good with Krejci as an aside, but if you play him in the top six, he's going to be a 50, 55, maybe even a 60 point player. Like, the fact that Bruins fans have to complain about someone and they're picking a guy who, like, I, I don't think there's any legitimate reason to complain about him other than, yeah, he misses the open net every once in a while and we all smack our hands against our forehead because, like, yeah, it, it happens. But, like, I, I don't get it. Like, if anything, I like, he was a steal. We, we talk about all their draft misses. Getting a guy like that in a fourth-round pick really hasn't gotten any credit. And, like, I'll be the first to just bag on Sweeney at times. But, like, hey, that wasn't bad. Like... I don't know. I just had to get that out there. Like everyone hates on Heinen. I don't get it. They think he doesn't work on the first line. I pulled these up too. Like I said, he's a 75 point pace player on the first line. Marchand before Heinen was on 97 point pace with Heinen. He's at 107 point pace again, small sample sizes, but Bergeron took a hit. He was at 104 point pace, which he was never like, it's not reasonable for him to expect that. It's almost double his, his average, but post, Cost injury with Heinings at a 70 point, 76 point pace. Like that first line is still very good with Heinen on there. And it's far better defensively, not that Poss is terrible. That's like a whole myth that I don't have time for. But like Heinen is definitely superior defensively to Pasta. So like so I don't know. Stop hating on stop hating on Heinen people. So, so I think here. that is like a solution again a couple of years down the road if he really develops into I he he is a legitimate you know, legitimate player now, but if he is able to develop into somebody that can play up and down the lineup and doesn't have to rely on having quality line mates to do what he can do. Great. Like that, that's where I was getting at is like, he's got work to do in order to be his own player. Um, 
and and to me, you know, where he was playing the last last season, up and down, but probably would have slotted in pretty well if it was consistent to stay on a third line with an adequate center and, you know, having a like a second fourth line that's more of a pace pusher than a, than a checker. I, I I don't have any problem with it. It just he's not he's not ripe yet. My thing is like, and I, this went longer than I expected because I feel strongly about it. But let's say Coyle started the year with the Bruins. Like I, I think you're looking at forty point floor for Heinen this year. I literally think it's that bad. He's played with JFK. All due respect to him, Frederick, even Bacchus as his center. Like again, all due respect to them. They're all way better at hockey than I'll ever be. All of that, but like none of them are really should be everyday NHLers, let alone starting third line players. And, like, Heinen maintained strong defense through all that. He still provided some scoring. Like, I, I don't know. I think, like Dan said perfectly, they needed someone to complain about, and they chose Heinen for whatever reason because he missed the open net a couple times, and he's not Jake DeBrusque and doesn't wave his Bruins crest every time he scores a goal. Like, I don't know. But I think you could do a lot worse than Heinen. And if you're asking me if you need someone to complain about, complain about Nordstrom. That's my rant. It finally comes out. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a topic for another day, and it, it'll veer into me being mean probably, <laughs> so we, <laughs> we won't. But uh, if anyone deserves it, and I don't know that he really does, but if you really want to complain about someone who's not good offensively, they're your guy. But uh, hopefully him and Bacchus both are not playing when the playoffs come around. They're, they're 13th and 14th forwards, but we all know that probably will not happen. So we'll see. But, uh, again, wanted to thank our, our listeners for submitting questions. We love it when you do. We're always open to feedback. Um, we do this for you guys, more or less. So any questions, comments, concerns, we're all about it. You can send them our way to the Cup of Chowder Twitter page, to the SBN Supervised Twitter page. You can follow um, Adam at – is it the Creative Anomaly? No, right? the – I always get – Just at – It's at Creative Just at Anomaly. don't follow me. Yeah, that too. Um, you can follow Dan if you aren't already at Bruins Hockey Now. Um, you can follow me at C. Beswick. As always, take a couple seconds if you have it to subscribe to us and give us a rating on iTunes. It means a lot. And thanks for listening.